You're listening to the Enneacast, a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. This content is made possible by donations from people just like you. So to keep more helpful teaching content coming to your podcast feed, please make a donation today at lovethyneighborhood.org slash donate. When we understand the core of the gospel, it helps us to take a big deep breath as a parent and go, I don't know how my kids are going to turn out. This is an exercise of us trusting the Lord to work in and through us and living out the calling of being a parent, yet not ever really knowing what's going to happen. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and today we're going to be talking about parenting and the Enneagram. Lindsay, we are both parents. Yes. Parenting is awesome and challenging because, as it turns out, uh, we are equal opportunists. We are there to bless <laughs> our children and totally mess them up at the totally. same time. Forget saving for the college fund. Let's save for the counseling. <laughs> yeah, seriously, seriously. And what's amazing is that you have all these, like, idealized, you know, images of yeah. how you're going to mm-hmm. be as a parent and you're going to do it different than your own parents. And then your kids get a little older and you're like, I can't escape me. Yeah. Like, I am a huge factor in mm-hmm. the health of my home. It's so true. Let's talk about parenting. Let's mm-hmm. talk about the Enneagram. And to do that, we are actually going to bring in our friend Beth McCord from Your Enneagram Coach. Welcome back to the show, Beth. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. This is so fun being back here. Yeah. We always love having you on. This is your fourth time on our show. Oh, I'm loving it. Okay. So before we even get into like the specifics of you know how each of the types parent, because that's the approach we're going to take today. So we're not going to talk about like all the different types of kids, uh, but we're going to talk about different types of parents. Let's start with this. Beth, you teach on what you call Enneagram enhanced parenting. What is that and how does the Enneagram relate to parenting? Yeah. So, I mean, parenting, like you guys said, it is really, really hard. (laughs) And I remember, you know, when I first started using the Enneagram, our kids were two and four. So we're talking 20 years ago. I was just like, is there like a manual for Libby and a manual for Nate? Like, can Mm -hmm. someone give me a little bit more instruction here? Now, of course, you know, especially nowadays, there's all of the podcasts and the blogs and the YouTube videos. We didn't have that back then. (laughs) We didn't even have social media back then. And so you had books, but there's just such a wide range of books and ideas. And usually the authors are coming at it from their perspective. You need to parent like this, you know, so like a type one's going to say, you need to, let's say schedule feed, or you need to, you know, here's the procedures. And then a type seven might be over here saying, you need to have as much fun as possible. You know, like, so there's all these different like authors out there speaking into the space and literally saying, I've got, you know, the ingredients, this mm-hmm. is the way to do it. And then you try it and you're like, uh, this isn't working. And so what we like to show parents is, let's focus more on your heart condition. What are you bringing to the parenting equation? And what is your spouse bringing? 
And when you bring that from your personality perspective, the biggest thing you want to understand is not just what is your type and what does your type bring, but how is it bringing, like, is it bringing it from a healthy aligned perspective or is it misaligned or unhealthy? And that totally changes everything because here's the thing, God gave your children to you for a reason and God gave you your type for a reason. What he is calling us to do is to trust him, but also to partner with him in checking out our heart, understanding what condition it's in and surrendering and depending on him to bring us when we're misaligned or out of alignment with his truth and becoming more aligned, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. Yeah. Yeah. I do think about, you know, this season we've been talking about the Enneagram at work, like in our vocation and definitely work can be very stressful, Mm -hmm. but honestly, a lot of times I put my best foot forward at work. And then when I go home, I'm fatigued. And so Mm -hmm. oftentimes my wife and my kids are experiencing the less resourceful parts of who I am Mm -hmm. because it's safe enough for me to kind of let my guard down. But there are consequences for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think also a lot of our listeners being a full-time stay-at-home parent may be their work. So knowing this is going to help them in their work, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we're talking a lot about the personality of the parent, but let's talk briefly about children. Can we type them and can we use the Enneagram with them as well? Yeah, it is such a great question. I I get it all the time. And it's something I kind of had to wade through myself. I didn't have a whole lot of training back when our kids were really little, but I had enough insight from some teachers that was really helpful Um, that you shouldn't type your kids, that your kids need to type themselves. And the reason is the same reason why we don't type anyone, because we don't know their hearts, motivations, why they do what they do, which is what the Enneagram is based completely on. And I'll give you an example. So my son really looked at times like a one or a two. Back and forth, I would go one or two, one or two, what is going on? Well, here's the thing. As he got older, I started seeing six pop up a little bit more and a little bit more. Well, it ends up that he is a type six and he is the social six. So he has a lot of type one qualities in him. Left up to me, if I would have parented him as he is a one, there would have been a lot of things I would have missed. And I probably would have parented him in a way that might not have actually benefited him. It could have actually kind of harmed him in some ways. And so that's kind of what I would say, just don't type your kids. You're going to naturally think you know what their kids are, but even that go, I could be wrong, even if you think you're absolutely right. So we want to be curious. We want to leave a lot of room for them to show us who they really are and then have those great conversations in their teens and early 20s. Yeah, that's so good. You know, and I think, too, even when, you know, as parents, we're like, we're always all of us. We're obsessed with let's find the magic solution. Mm -hmm. So whether that's like. Baby wise, I found it, you know, (laughs) even honestly, even if it's like, as long as I teach my kids the right theology, you know, and then we come to the Enneagram, we're like, oh, no, I need to know their personality. Mm -hmm. Like we become obsessed with we need to find the right and magic solution. As we dive into this topic, we have to remember the Enneagram is not a magic solution to perfect parenting. Beth, what do you recommend our listeners keep in mind or remember as we talk about this? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, I know I said is be curious, be open, keep observing your kids and what they're saying, what they're doing. But the main focus of using the Enneagram when you're parenting is on you. If you want to bless your kids, 
it's to work on your own self. And there's never an end to this until we're in heaven. And so when we teach the Enneagram and parenting, we are not focusing on, okay, so if you have a type one child, this is what you do. And there's a type two child. Um, could there be some great principles for that if your kids are older and they type themselves? Sure. But again, it's really focusing in on you and your parenting style because you're going to parent from your personality perspective. God is the perfect parent and mm. we're all still pretty jacked up. So <laughs> when we work on becoming more healthy as people, it is really for the purpose of being a gift to our children mm. and serving them well, but it can never be in service of, I need to become healthier in order to fix you and heal you. That's God's business. Yes. We, we can't yes. do that. So we can be great parents and terrible messiahs. So, uh, so let's just work on being good parents. Well, let's go through each of the nine types and talk about some of the parenting styles of that type, what strengths they naturally bring to parenting and where there may be some weak spots. So let's kick things off with the heart triad. All right, Beth, let's start with type two, the helper. Great. Yeah. So twos make fantastic parents because they're nurturing, affectionate, caring. They're giving their children this strong sense of confidence and security. Um, but they also have a genuine interest in their kids coming alongside them through maybe, let's say, acts of service or advice. But they also want to meet their kids' physical, mental, and emotional needs. So they have this really great knack of knowing what is needed and supplying that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some of the weaknesses for type two? Yeah. So we want them to nurture. We want them to be affectionate and caring in all the ways that they are. But we also need the twos to recognize that there's some weaknesses that they could build off of. So twos can be overwhelming in their need to care for their kids. They have this need to be needed when they're misaligned with the gospel, like, oh, but I'm, I, they need to need me. But unfortunately, when this starts rising up, they're beginning to not focus on their own needs and emotions. They're solely focusing on their children or just in general as twos, the needs of others. So what can happen is they can start to intrude too much. They can overstep relational boundaries and even begin to suffocate their children with their help and their advice instead of giving an option for their kids to ask for it and receive it. So it can feel at times maybe manipulative or overwhelming and overbearing at times. So we want the twos to recognize, are you taking good care of yourself first? And the twos are going to be like, that's selfish. I should be caring for my kids. No, it's not selfish. You know, when we're on an airplane and the, and the masks come down, they always say, put your mask on first, then your child. And the reason is, if you don't, you only have 15 seconds. And if you can't do it, they're not going to be able to do it. We want to recognize that our needs are important, that filling ourselves up appropriately, not overdoing it and being selfish, but appropriately filling our tank so that we can overflow in our care to others. And that overflow is a place where we're able to step back and say, hey, would you like me to help with this? Would you like that? So we ask for them to set up the boundaries. And if they set up the boundaries, instead of feeling as a type two, oh, they don't want me, they don't need me, the two can go, okay, great, because they're already filled up with Christ's love for them and knowing that Christ has said you're wanted and loved. When they rest in that, so much can happen in their parenting as a type two. It's so beautiful. Yeah, that reminds me. I have a few friends who were twos, and they really enjoyed those little years when their kids 
were so dependent, you know, and they were those rock star moms that always had the snacks and always had, you know, the perfect play dates and the perfect activities. They were just superstars. But then they had to really adjust as their children got older, you know, and kind of needed less hands-on, really definitive help. And it becomes yeah, more about those questions and that curiosity of how can I help you? What would you like for me to do with you? And then finding other arenas for them to use their gifts and to find their own interests apart from their kids. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about type three, the achiever. Yeah. So threes make fantastic parents because they are optimistic. They're goal oriented. They're going to raise really hardworking and accomplished children. Type threes are responsible. They're consistent. They're very well organized and they're giving their all to parenting their children. They're not just going to sit on the wayside and be like, oh, who cares? They're going to give their all. And that is wonderful. So what are some of the weaknesses that threes need to recognize and overcome in their parenting? Yeah. So, uh, so threes in that whole desire to accomplish and achieve, they can actually then have that focus be put on their children, whether they realize it or not, that they want their children to achieve, accomplish, to be the best at a lot of different areas of life. So the children can start to feel very pressured. They can feel unworthy, believing they're not good enough, that they didn't accomplish enough. They don't have a you know high enough image or status. So there's this burden that can be placed on the kid to come through in a very specific way, or at least they feel like it. And they just feel like they can't measure up. And so mm-hmm. we want the type three parents to recognize how are they wanting their kids to come through for them as an image bearer of them in this world of uh, success and accomplishment and what kind of burden could that possibly be putting on their child. So what we're hoping is that the type three parent recognizes that neither their kids nor they will ever have that perfect image on this side of heaven, but Christ has accomplished all that needs to be accomplished. Their image, their accomplishments are Christ accomplishments because what he did here on earth, he has then put on us, credited to us. So the type three can breathe a sigh of relief. Ah, Okay. It is not about that. I'm not good enough. It is about that. Christ is good enough. And I have that within me. And when God sees me, he sees me as Christ, his son, and all of that is in me. And therefore I don't have to put it on my children either, that we can live in the grace and the righteousness of Christ. Mm, That's Mm. good. All right. Let's talk about type four, the originalist. What are some of their strengths in parenting? All of them. All of all <laughs> all the strengths. We are all awesome. Yes. So type fours make fantastic parents because they feel and care for their kids deeply. They're encouraging their kids' creativity, their unique abilities and um, outlooks on life, their perspective. And they want their kids to fully express who they are from the very deep core. Now, the great thing about fours is they're going to bring the beauty and the depth of what they're feeling out into their parent-child dynamic. So they're going to be able to kind of know and have intuition on their kids' feelings and move into them and to listen to them for as long as that child wants to be heard because the four parent cares so much about that depth, that honesty, and that authenticity. And I think that's just such an amazing attribute that our type four parents bring. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so Beth, what are some of the weaknesses that uh, type fours need to recognize and can work on overcoming? Yeah, so the type fours can have, like we just talked about, very intense feelings. And the feelings can lead to melancholy, which melancholy is you know, totally fine. I know that people that are on the more optimistic spectrum are like, what? Melancholy is not good. You should always be positive and happy. Well, melancholy is fine, um, especially if we're on this side of heaven. Like that is truth. But it can lead into even depression and just being very focused on their emotions, feeling disconnected from others and feeling fundamentally flawed, whether just as a human or as a parent. And so the children can start to sense this and kind of feel the the burden or bear the burden of these vast emotions, almost like I need to come through for my parent. I need to lift them up or I need to do something. So they're, they're not so weighted down in their emotions. So we just really want fours to recognize we know that you're going to feel flawed and misunderstood. You're going to feel sometimes like you don't belong as a parent. That is like the mindset of the four, but that is just not what's true. That you are fully seen and loved for exactly who you are, this special and unique parent that has so much to offer the world and that Christ himself is there to not only understand you, but to call you out in the depths to bring you up so that you can shed light to your child as they also walk in, the, in these murky waters of being here on earth. And you can walk there together at versus maybe you being stuck in the emotions and the weightiness and your kid not feeling connected. Christ can bring you back up to a place where you guys are connected in those murky waters and they feel, your kids feel seen, heard because you know you're seen and heard and loved by Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. There are definitely times where if I get sort of melancholic, I'm unavailable to my kids. My kids feel Mm -hmm. my unavailability. Mm -hmm. I have to be thoughtful about that. But on the positive side, we have a lot of original art in our home. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Stay with us because when we come back, we're going to continue to make our way through the head and the body triad as it relates to the Enneagram and parenting with Beth McCord. Stay with us. Hey, it's Anna, media editor. At the beginning of August, I talked with a few interns from our summer 2021 term who had just wrapped up their three-month-long internship where they lived, worked, and served in our city here in Louisville, Kentucky. Hi there, my name is Naomi. I'm from Carthage, Missouri. Naomi served at Hope Place, a Christian community development center where she mainly worked with children. Hope Place also strives to be trauma-informed, meaning that they recognize signs and symptoms of trauma and seek to provide personalized care. Naomi said that she learned a lot about how trauma can affect the child's behavior and how the message of the gospel can bring hope and healing. Understanding what goes on underneath the surface of certain people's behaviors, because every time the kids might act out or have like an identity crisis, that's a chance for us to minister to these kids. There was actually one girl that was crying saying, man, I'm just crying right now. And I was like, oh, why are you crying? What's wrong? And she's like, well, I'm crying tears of joy because Jesus loves me. And it's like, it's just awesome to see little kids respond to the gospel that way. If you want to find your internship where social action and Christian community meet, head over to lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. That's lovethyneighborhood.org. Welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. And we are here with Beth McCord talking about the Enneagram and parenting. 
And we have just finished the heart triad. We're now making our way into the head triad. So Beth, talk to us about type five, the investigator. Yeah, so the fives are fantastic parents because they're so perceptive and innovative observers. So they're gonna walk through life and seeing so much around them and they're going to create new ways of parenting. Now, not everyone's gonna see this. It's not like they're sitting around inventing a bunch of stuff. They're very innovative and creative in their parenting style. They also love to absorb a lot of knowledge and insight on parenting and kind of come to their own logical conclusion on what they feel is best for their family. It's not necessarily based on their emotions or what others are saying or the image that others want them, you know, that they should be. It's about facts and reason. And this is, you know, for my family, this was, was what feels good. And this is the data that I've got. And so this helps to teach their kids to be inquisitive, objective, practical, wise, and to calculate their own decisions, uh, not just to kind of go on a whim. And so they bring so much to the table for their children. I love five parents when the kids go through the phase where they're like, why? 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 And the five's <laughs> yes. like, bring it. Uh-huh. I'll tell you why, why, why. You know, they have energy for that. Like, yeah, yeah let's look it up. Let's know more. And the yep. kids just gobble that up, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yes. yeah, those are some great strengths. What are some of the weaknesses that fives can be on the lookout for and overcome? Yeah. So we talk a lot about uh, your Enneagram coach, how fives have this kind of internal, well, we all have this like a battery, this relational battery. And the extroverts just when they're around people, they just hit a button like on a Mophie case and bing, you know, they're getting charged up. Um, mm-hmm. And then your typical introverts wake up every day with about, you know, maybe 75% battery life to interact. And so by the end of the day, they need some time alone. But the fives wake up every day with about 20, 25% interactive battery life. And so they have to ration this out all day. And, you know, usually they don't want to have obligations placed on them and intrusions and stuff because that can deplete them really quickly. Well, that is literally all that parenting is. <laughs> right, <laughs> intrusions, right. being overwhelmed, obligations being placed on you, and you never know when and where it's coming. Your thoughts being interrupted constantly. Yes. And so you can imagine how a five who needs a lot of time alone to process and to think through their, their thoughts and feelings, this is a really hard thing for them, um, especially when the kids are little. They don't understand those kinds of boundaries and stuff. So we want to we want the fives to recognize this is a part of how God created you and your design. It's not wrong or bad that you need some time alone. We just need to figure out a way to make that happen in a way that benefits you, but also benefits your children, that they also feel very seen and heard and connected to. And it's hard because if you're a single parent or there's other circumstances, this can be a really tricky thing. But hopefully you can find or barter or pay, you know, someone to help or your spouse or a good friend to help you to find space to recharge, to replenish what you you feel like you're missing so that you can move in and engage with your children on a whole new level. And fives are naturally going to do that anyway. So it'd be one thing if I was telling a nine this, that you had to have to convince them. The five's like, yes, I know. But sometimes mm-hmm. they forget the creativity aspect of finding help to get that time alone. And so I just want to open their horizon and finding that time because when they recharge, they're so much more present and engaged and generous with all that God has given them to their children instead of feeling like they have to hold on to or hoard all that they've been given and fear that it's going to be depleted. So that's really what we're hoping for the fives to experience. I love that you use the five buzzword barter. 
That was a that was a good <laughs> word there. Yeah, every five loves a good deal. All right, let's look at the type six, the loyalist. Great. Yeah. So my mom was a type six. So this is very familiar to me. And my husband's a six. My son's a six. So sixes make fantastic parents because they are hardworking, dependable. They're trustworthy. And they're always desiring to raise obedient, responsible kids, which is great for just the common good, you know, just the world around us. With type six parents, they're there for their kids. You know, when life has its ups and downs, they're there. And I totally remember that with, with my mom. Like I was always amazed at how she would remember, like as a nine, I forget things all the time, you know, <laughs> in one ear, out the other. But my mom would remember the littlest things without even writing it down. It just always, they're just so faithful and responsible. And they're just great team players and troubleshooters. But having a type uh, six parent, you know that they've got your back. And it's so safe for the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always refer to sixes as covenant people. Like mm-hmm. they, they really, they uphold the covenant, covenant yeah. of parenting, the covenant of marriage, like they're dedicated. Yes. What are some weaknesses that sixes need to recognize and work mm-hmm. on overcoming? Yeah. And this will look a little bit different, whether they're kind of in the spectrum of the phobic six, where they feel anxieties and fears and want to run away from it versus all the way to the other side of the spectrum. And there's everything in the middle is the counterphobic six where they want to push into the fears and anxieties and like, go for it. That fear is not going to dominate me. So there's a little bit of a difference there. My husband's more the counterphobic six and moving into it. My mom is definitely the phobic six. So the sixes, all of them though, have a fear of danger, uncertainty. They're hypervigilant in protecting their kids and thinking of all worst case scenarios But usually the phobic sixes are really thinking about that in the physical sphere, you know, like food, shelter, are they going to get sick? Are they going to get in a car wreck? Now, all parents are thinking that in general, but I know the phobic sixes are a little bit, or the self-preservation sixes are a little bit more focused in that realm. Whereas my husband, it was funny, I'm like, are you a six? Because he'd be like, oh, they're fine. They can ride the Mm -hmm. bike like that. Or they can, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like, let them be kids. And I'm like, you're not like my mom. Like my mom was a complete opposite. It was almost Uh like I wore a bubble, you know, suit around me all the time. (laughs) And whereas my husband's like, yeah, go for it. But what he is uh, more hypervigilant about is trustworthiness, uh, faithfulness, loyalty, a team mentality. Um, And are our children going to be courageous and strong enough to move through their fears? And if they sense that their kids buckle under those kinds of things, that brings a lot of fear and anxiety to the counterphobic six. So they want to raise like these really tough street smart type kids, like they can kind of get through anything. So we just want to recognize that there's just kind of that spectrum um, and you can, they can become overly focused in those realms. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, in a scenario not long ago where I was standing next to a phobic six and a counterphobic six. (laughs) There were two kids and one kid climbed on the other kid and started roughhousing with him and got too rough and hurt the Mm. other one. The phobic six ran towards the kid that was being sat on and tried to pull him away saying, we need to get you to safety. (laughs) The counterphobic six chastised the kid that had been climbed on and said, if you let another kid uh, sit on you like that, I'll ground you next time. <laughs> like, yeah. But in both scenarios, it's we love you by teaching you to be scared of the right things. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so for the six, it's it's going, hey, maybe maybe I don't need to just like make my kids scared of everything, you know, and, yeah. and going, mm-hmm. hey, there's a world out there of possibility and sometimes good things happen and yeah, and not quite be so oriented around fear. Mm-hmm. Okay, talk to us about type seven, the enthusiast. 
great. Yeah. So my dad's a seven. So again, I, this is very comfortable to me. So sevens are fantastic parents because they're enthusiastic, optimistic, they're adventurous. They see endless possibilities and they can pretty much innovate anything around them. Like they can innovate creativity and like, we can go do this. And there's just so many possibilities for them. They love variety. They live life big. They're eager to expose their kids to a lot of different things in the world and get them to like, get out there and experience it. And this is so true. Like my brother, he was a severe stutter growing up. Like when he was in first grade, it took him like a minute to say a word. Like that's how severe it was. Mm. And I also had a pretty severe reading disability and my dad did as well. He was, and he's a doctor, but my dad brought so much optimism, like, no, they can do this. Like my parents knew, you know, Beth, yeah, we're going to work hard. We're going to get you help, but you're not going to play the victim card because look at your dad. He's a doctor. You can do this. Like we're right here to support you. And they tried lots of different ways to help me. And they they did. Um, And here I'm now an author of many books, you know, and so it cracks me up. And my brother, they helped him along the way. They They always kind of pushed him, you know, or stretched him, I guess I should say, and they got him some really good help. And today he is the director of counseling at the seminary that we attended. So he teaches every day and he still has a stuttering problem. It's not that it's completely gone. It's, it's obviously very minimal, but without my dad's enthusiasm and encouragement and endless possibilities and trying things, I don't think we would be the people we are today. And so they have that kind of strength behind them in those areas. Mm. I love the energy that seven parents bring. Like one of my close friends is a seven as well. And yeah, she brings such amazing fun and energy and positivity to her family. But also she throws the best birthday parties (laughs) right like all the birthday parties are amazing she decorates for every holiday i'm just like how do you have the energy but it's so fun to be in her home Mm, so she embodies all those strengths Uh, what are some weaknesses that sevens might need to be on the lookout for yeah so a few things that we want to kind of focus in on and so sevens pay attention i know it's gonna this is this is the uncomfortable space like don't don't skip this part sevens don't skip i want (laughs) to reframe no just just listen hang in there because we just said a lot of awesome things that we're wanting you to hopefully avoid and work through some of these negatives but seven parents can the kids can feel that they have to always be going there could be uh, over scheduled with activities um, outings, sports, you know, et cetera. Um, and now whether that's the kids are overscheduled or even the parent can be overscheduled. And maybe if the parent is overscheduled, they don't have as much time with their kids because it's really hard for a seven to kind of sit in the quiet and the mundane of just everyday parenting. So we want the kids to feel that their parents are there. They're present the best they can. Now we're busy as parents, right? Especially if we have job and whatever, But as a seven, when you are with your kids, really be present as best you can. And this is going to take time because your mind's going to want to go to the next thing and the next thing. So take some time to learn how to have silence and solitude by yourself, but then also among your kids that you don't need constant stimulation. Well, in fact, your kids are your stimulation, right? Like, so be focused in on them instead of kind of going off to the next thing. And the where this is coming from is the sevens feel like they can never fully experience satisfaction and a content heart. And so when we can get them to see how Christ is the spring of living water, he is the one that will fill them up. When they go there every day and get filled up by Christ's love, 
just the energy that Christ brings, the positivity, the hope. When sevens are focused there and get filled up there, our heart is at rest and they're able to savor the present moment with their kids. And that's really what we're hoping for the sevens. Mm, That's good. That's good. Okay, let's make our way into the body triad. So let's kick things off with type eight, the powerful person. Yes. So the type eights are fantastic parents because they are big hearted, assertive, protective, and make their kids feel very safe in this turbulent world. That's for sure. They fiercely adore their children and are willing to go to great lengths to help their kids succeed or to make sure things go well. And they teach their kids to notice and defend the underdogs that are around them. Those kids are getting picked on or bullied. They want their kids to be advocates, to be justice fighters for those around them. Yes. I'm always surprised by eights that you know they can be fierce and powerful, but you get them around small children. And oh, totally. They are so nurturing and playful. They're grizzly bears and then they're teddy bears. They are. They yeah. are the like quintessential mama bear, papa bear personalities. Mm -hmm. So what are some of their weaknesses? Yeah. So for eights, they can feel this intense need to guard themselves and their children from any possible betrayal or powerlessness that could be around them. They are always looking to have this invincible exterior and minimizing any hint of personal vulnerability or their child's being vulnerable. Vulnerability is such a hard space for AIDS. And of course, as parents, we don't want our kids to be vulnerable and exposed and potentially harmed. So that is a good thing, but it can slip into being a little too big, too strong, too blunt, too aggressive for others. And so what can happen with this kind of confrontational intense strategy is it can make Others, those that are kind of around their own children, feel plowed over versus what I like to say eights are is eights are really a diesel snowplow because snowplows are plowing a path for others so that others can get to where they need to go. And that is really the beauty of an eight. But we don't want eights to plow over anyone or nick anyone on the side of the road. And so sometimes eights are not even aware of their intensity Um, how they're being too blunt. And here's one of the reasons. I think this is really helpful for people to realize. Eights are so tenderhearted. And what the eights are doing is they're putting on this strong exterior because they're so afraid of that tender heart being harmed and betrayed, not just them, but their kids as well. Mm -hmm. And so when people can recognize, oh, this strong exterior, it's there for a reason. See, eights, they don't want you to be pretentious or fake or where are you really coming from when you're saying something? They want you to be direct to them so they know exactly what they're dealing with. And so they do that to others, but that doesn't always land well on others. But if you mm-hmm. understand why it's happening or where they're coming from, it doesn't mean that you're gonna necessarily feel better, but you can then ask curious questions about them instead of feeling like you gotta put your hands up and get ready for a fight with an eight. They're yeah. really there to support and care for their kids. Um, and so, but if we have the eights turn back to what Christ has already done. Christ is their protector, their shield, their rock, their cleft, the good shepherd who is always caring for them and their children. It will allow their hearts to rest enough. It doesn't mean that they're just going to kick back and not, you know, do anything. It will allow their heart to rest enough to engage with others from a kinder, gentler place that their heart truly is. And others will feel that and they can come alongside and support them in their parenting efforts. Mm. That's really good. 
Okay, we have the best two numbers left, <laughs> Beth. So, you know, first you can talk about the second best, which is the nine, and then we'll go on to the one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go to the best, the number one. Yeah. So obviously I'm a type nine. Nines are fantastic parents because they are very warm, gentle, non-judgmental. They're giving their kids a lot of space to grow and to be who they are. And they're, the kids feel accepted. They feel that they have the security with their parents. Nines are very patient and easygoing. They're longing for harmony with their kids and the environment. And nines give a sense of calm and empathy in that relationship. And so it's natural for the type nines to give sympathy, to empathize with all points of view. So no matter what type their children are, they can see their child's point of view pretty quickly. What are some of the weaknesses or vulnerabilities that nines need to confront? Yeah, probably just speaking for myself, one of the biggest weaknesses for the type nine parent is the word overwhelm. Yeah, <laughs> Overwhelm is like kryptonite and really all parenting is, is overwhelm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when nines get overwhelmed, we start to, whether knowingly or unknowingly, withdrawing, numbing, disengaging from the situation, from the tension, from conflict. We want to withdraw, and that could be withdrawal by ourselves or withdrawal, like take our family and kind of become hermits almost. Like, that's too much. I can't deal with that. Or we can kind of numb out our family, try to calm everyone down to our level, which means they can't quite feel the ability to be themselves, you know, to the fullest extent. Um, because sometimes too much noise or what sounds like chaos. Like I remember even watching Jeff with their kids on the ground wrestling and playing, like just that loud noise of wrestling and playing and screaming and laughing felt like chaos in me. Now my eyes and my brain were like, no, this is good. But my whole being was wanting to say stop. And so I actually removed myself during those situations or sometimes I would even put earplugs in so I could hear enough, but it wouldn't overwhelm me to make everyone come down to my level. And so Mm -hmm. I had to learn a lot of like tricks of the trade of being engaged, but not overwhelmed. And that can be a a weakness that nines have. And also the biggest, uh, another biggest weakness is losing myself in my parenting, going along with, you know, my husband's parenting style or what my kids want and their desires and losing myself in the process. And of course we want to be there for all of them, but there has to be a good balance in bringing my full self and engaging with life and knowing that my presence and my voice matters just as much as anyone else in the family unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting a little oriented around like keeping the the harmony within the home versus mm-hmm. having a vision for the home that I'm striving towards, which sometimes right. means there's going to be a little bit of hardship along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Talk to us about type one, the reformers. Yes. Yeah, so Lindsay, you're type one. So we'll see how much this lands for you. Um, So type ones make fantastic parents because they're raising children with a strong sense of personal responsibility and firm boundaries. They're very consistent, moral, truthful, and they expect their kids to, you know, kind of adhere to very certain ethics and codes of principles and conduct. So they bring just this ability for the kids to see wisdom, to embrace wisdom and truth and to live that out. Yeah, that sounds right on. Okay, I'm bracing myself. You can let me know what the weaknesses are. <laughs> punch as yes. hard as you need so, to. Punch as hard as you need to. Uh, yeah, you know me as a, as a nine. I'm going to punch real hard. Really yeah. Hard. <laughs> yeah. So the weaknesses that a type one wants to recognize is, first and foremost, the inner critic is not the Holy Spirit. 
Mm-hmm. The inner critic is criticizing, judging, putting down, shaming, controlling. That's not the fruits of the spirit. That's not how the, the spirit is. The spirit is accepting, loving, pursuing, rescuing, renewing, refreshing, bestowing love, generosity. So the inner critic is not the Holy Spirit. You don't have to adhere to it. You don't have to be chained to it anymore. Now it's going to be there. So don't feel even bad when it pops up, but you can use scripture. You can use the power of the Holy Spirit to let that inner critic know, like, I know that you're trying to help, but here's what would really help is this truth from scripture or what Christ has said about me. So relying on the real truth, not the inner critic, quote unquote, truth. And when you do this, it's going to really bring about a sense of calm, a sense of ease, a sense of playfulness, grace that rises up within the type one where, yes, you're still going to want what is right and what is good, but you're also going to see that there are going to be faults and and failures and mistakes. And there's a place that we can laugh at it. There's a place we pray for righteousness to come. There's a place to just try things spontaneously and knowing that some things are going to fail. And that's part of being a kid, right? Like when a kid starts walking at age one and they keep falling, they're not doing anything wrong per se. They're actually learning through the trying and falling, trying and falling. So when the type one really embraces the Holy Spirit and who he is versus the inner critic, you're going to see this joyful, childlike part of the one come out. Yeah. Okay. So there was a a study that came out, I think it was either last year or the year before, about why do children that were raised in Christian homes become Christians as adults? Like, why do they Mm -hmm. choose that? So there were two things. So the first thing was that they saw a vibrant faith modeled in their home. So that's Mm -hmm. like, we pray together, we engage the scriptures, we're curious about mm-hmm. things, there's room to ask questions, there's room for doubt, all of that. But here's the second piece, and this is a surprising one, my family knew how to have fun together. Mm. And I think that that's the area, you know, that I would totally encourage ones, lean in on that. Yeah. Like, if it can't just be all serious all the time. Like, laugh, goof off, you know, have fun as a family. Yeah, so we went out and bought like a ton of board games, honestly, yeah. after I read that, I was like, all right, we're gonna have a lot of fun in our house. We're the fun house. Yeah, we did too. And- <laughs> well, it- yeah, I'm not a big game person because then everyone starts fighting and being. Yeah. <laughs> well, any final encouragements, final thoughts, anything that we just want to leave people with as they walk away thinking about their personality as a parent? I think the biggest thing is God created you to be your type, to bless your kid with your type. And he also knows that you're on this side of heaven, that Uh, Sin has tainted the world, but he came to rescue you, to give you hope, to to renew your heart, restore you, replenish you within your type. You don't have to become any other person or personality type. Focus on you, not in the sense of like, just be self-focused, but what is God calling you to be? How is he stretching you? How is he wanting you to grow and lean in on him in new and fresh ways? But also recognizing, yeah, we're going to make mistakes. We had a good friend He's actually the president of Youth for Christ right now. And they would uh, joke that whenever they, quote unquote, messed up in parenting, they would put $100 in a counseling jar, you know, and I don't yeah. know if it was 100 or, <laughs> or 20 or whatever, but it, we're going to mess up. We are sinful humans, just like our kids are sinners. And there will be a time where your kids do need help to sort through and to think through and to process through their upbringing, the positive and the negative. 
And so what we need to do is just be faithful stewards, constantly asking forgiveness, modeling that we're trusting in the work of Christ. God gave me a certain pattern, a way of being, but I want it to be in the most aligned path with the truth of the gospel that I can possibly be. And he will then ultimately take my kids and, and grow them up in the way they want to be, what he wants to be. And then I can support and nurture on them there. So if you guys can just rest in the provision, the protection, and the assurance of Christ, so much will come out of just that. Mm, that's good. That's good. Okay. Well, enough of this parenting talk. I think it's time <laughs> for us to uh, goof off a little bit. So stay with us because when we come back, we will be playing Type Detective with Beth McCord. Stay with us. Here at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships, and we've actually created a brand new way to do that with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays, and all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So. Go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store and get ready to say more because better relationships are just a question away. Welcome back to the Enneacast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And now it's time for Type Detective. Okay, our game today is called Type Detective. This is our version of Two Truths and a Lie. Here's how it works. Each of us will take a turn. When it's your turn, you will share three facts about yourself related to your type, but one of them is a lie. Everyone else gets to ask one clarifying question each about any of the facts shared, and after that, must guess which one they think is the lie. Anyone who guesses correctly gets a point. If on your turn, no one guesses your lie, then you get a point. We'll each take a turn, so three rounds. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. Are you both ready? Yes. Sounds good. Beth, would you like to go first? Um, I think you should go first. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like you're already ready, and I'm still narrowing mine down. Oh, I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> Here are my three. I once released a modern worship album that was nothing but sonic drones with a few extra instruments on top. That's, that's our first one. Second one, my senior year, I was voted most dramatic. I was so angry about it that I stood up in the cafeteria, yelled at everyone, and then went outside and set my yearbook on fire while everyone watched. <laughs> I hope that's true. Third one, when I was a church planner who raised his own funds, I sent out a Pray for Jesse photo to my supporters. Believing that a typical headshot was too typical, it was not mysterious enough, I instead sent a black and white photo in which half of my face was hidden behind a brick wall 
and you could barely tell who I was. <laughs> oh my word. That's great. So oh, um, you can ask one clarifying question or you don't have to use that. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to pick the last one as the not true. The photo? Yes. Okay. My clarifying question is just for my own personal edification. What is a sonic boom or whatever you a said sonic you boom. did? Uh, drones. Drones. Like, yeah, drone music. What is that? Yeah, it's where you take uh, you take an instrument, a guitar. Mm-hmm. You would open tune it, and mm-hmm. then you basically make the strings resonate, and you run it through a bunch of effects, mm-hmm. and it makes this giant, massive wall of ambient sound. Could you give me an example, like what that might sound like? Mm-hmm. Like that. Perfect. <laughs> All right, I'm going to also go with number three. You're also going with number three? Yeah. Sadly, my friend, that uh, one was true. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. I still have friends to this day that when I see them, they literally walk up to me and they put their hand over half of their face oh when they gosh. see me. And it's their way of saying hello. And we I still remember. remember when you were young and dumb. <laughs> so, no, the lie was being voted most dramatic. We had an Enneagram 4 attend our workshop and she told us that story. Oh, so she said she was voted most dramatic. And her response to that is that she stood on the table in the cafeteria, screamed at everyone, walked outside, and set her yearbook on fire oh while gosh. everyone watched. And they're all like, yes. And I was it like, is that is brilliant. No, I, I no. wish yes. I had done that. Yes. Oh, that is so awesome. Okay, so I get a point. Yep. Nice. Okay. Beth, do you feel ready? Yes. Okay. All right. So the first one is I got my associate's degree in sign language interpreting because I loved the the value of hearing from those that usually don't get heard and being their voice as an interpreter. The second one um, is that my favorite thing to do, well, I shouldn't say my favorite, one of my favorite things to do is to go on my back patio and to get in a recliner and to chill out listening to music and looking at the hills behind me. And then the third is Um, I love going on walks, um, especially hikes to waterfalls, nature, lakes, whatever is peaceful and restful. That is my go-to. I think I'm going to say number three. And it's not based as much on you as much as it's based. I'm trying to think about, I don't know though, man. One of our staff members, her husband's a nine and he's on a retreat right now. And he did like a eight-mile hike yeah. yesterday. That's what Drew would do. Yeah. I'm going to go with number two. You think that sitting on her patio... I feel like it's two or three. Those are two similar. Yeah. I, I'm i going to go number two also. Oh, you're just trying to be like me. The <laughs> yes. false one is number three. Okay. Oh, you were no! so close. <laughs> I was so close. <laughs> yeah, like, as much as that sounds awesome, I'll be honest, like, that's too much activity. <laughs> 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 like, I know there, there are nines out there that do love, like, you know, going for it in the hiking and, you know, that. And and maybe someday I'll get there, but nah. You know, I'm, I'm all about the absolute chill. <laughs> well, I was so close. You were. I shouldn't have been like you. And then yeah. I would have been fine. Exactly. Peer oh. pressure. It's your yeah. downfall. Oh, wait. So she has Beth, a point. Beth has a point. Yeah. It'd be a tie game. Friends, we do not know each other well. <laughs> <laughs> that is what's happening here. Okay. Lindsay Lewis. Okay. One story is that when I was in the first grade, I was told 
in a mean way that I was the teacher's pet. And so I went to the teacher and I asked her, what did it mean to be the teacher's pet? And she explained it to me. And then I asked her bluntly, am I the teacher's pet? (laughs) And she said, yes. (laughs) And I said, great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 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 All right. Um, The other story is that whenever I was a little older, I was the lead role in a melodrama that we put on. But I was actually the villain, and my name was Truly Blackheart. Mm. (laughs) Was this like a Baptist campus ministry thing? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, the third is that when I was first learning the Enneagram and I was exploring the possibility of being a one, I had a friend tell me, you're not a one. Your kitchen is so messy. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And did that hurt your feelings? Um, I think I'm going to go with number one. So you think the teacher's pet thing? Yes. And let's see, the teacher's pet, second thing was... uh, Truly Blackheart. Truly Blackheart. Do you you need a question? You can ask a question. Yeah. Where did you put this play on? At school for the parents. It was like part of the PTA program. And they had to boo, like say, oh. And then if I came on stage, they had to say, boo. Was it a Christian school? No, but you know, it's the 80s. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to say number two. You're right. I'm right? Yes. Yes. I was, yes. A part yes, of, yes, yes. I was a part of a melodrama and I was the lead character, but it was truly good heart. Uh, <laughs> that was clever. Yep. That was a good. Mm-hmm. That was good. good. So, Lindsay, what's our what's our wrap up uh, on scoring? You know, I just find it demoralizing to keep score. <laughs> so I think we'll just <laughs> convenient. We'll just That's say convenient. it's so nice to get to know you, Jesse. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're all equal in Christ Jesus, but I won this game. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. All right, and now it's time for listener questions. All right, this question comes from Braids1229. How do I prevent against decision fatigue as a nine parenting four kids who are five and under? Every time my kids ask me a question, I have to think through all the circumstances, possibilities, and seeing it from their side, et cetera, and it's exhausting. I think, you know, I mean, it's still going to happen. So it's not like you can ever get rid of that completely, but I would say... When your kids are old enough, and when I say old enough, it could be even when they're, you know, six, seven or eight is start putting it back on them and ask them to think through the possibilities and say, okay, Mm -hmm. so let's think about all the possibilities here and the positives and the negatives. And that way it becomes natural for them to come alongside you and to think about those things and what would be most beneficial, not just for them, but for the whole family. The other thing that we do in my house, because I definitely can struggle with decision fatigue big time, mm-hmm. is that we create rhythms and schedules and routines. Yep. So if they do certain chores, they get certain perks as a result mm-hmm. of that. If they want more screen time, uh, like we have a circle device that like turns off their screens at a certain point that we can give more. Like for a while, that was actually even connected to a chore app. So they mm-hmm. would do their chores and then it would give them more screen time like I'm all into like, let's automate yeah. some things ahead of time so that I don't get 
worn out because what will happen is then I become inconsistent in my decision making. Right. And then the kids are like, cool, dad, <laughs> we can manipulate dad. Ask we just him wear when he's him tired. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yo, you could even put up like a feeding schedule. Like I know people who are like, these are the kitchen hours that are open. And then here's a yes bowl. You don't have yeah. to ask. You just eat a snack from that bowl anytime. Yeah. And just taking away those chances for them to say, mom, dad, mm-hmm. mom, dad. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this question comes from Miss SS. How soon do you introduce the Enneagram into a child's life? So example, two siblings are arguing. Can you teach them about the Enneagram to better understand each other? I probably wouldn't bring up the Enneagram in word if I was dealing with two younger children who were fighting each other. Right. But I would definitely use the principles of, yeah, let's see things from your brother's point of view. Let's let's think about how other people might be feeling about this. And we can invite our kids to be really curious and Mm open-minded about how other people perceive the world. Mm -hmm. But I do think it can be beneficial as they get older. If they're curious about the Enneagram, you don't have to tell them who they are, but you can just start to talk about all the types of people in the world. And Mm -hmm. what do you Mm -hmm. think about that, Jesse? Yeah, I agree. You know, I think in my house, because, you know, my wife and I both are Enneagram coaches, Mm -hmm. so we talk about it. So they hear the conversations. We don't impose the language in. Mm -hmm. But what we found is that they're curious. So they begin to ask questions about like, now, what's a type nine? What's a type seven? Now, what is it that they struggle with? Well, wait, what is it that are their strengths? So I think that nurturing curiosity around it is is good and fine. The other way that like in our house it plays out, we don't use Enneagram language. But for example, I have one child who has a lot of nine quality and I have another kid who's got a lot of seven quality. The Mm -hmm. one with the seven quality, very assertive, uh, walks in the room, can really kind of demand the room. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's just natural. Doesn't think anything about it. The other one that's the nine quality all the time is like, I don't really want to watch the show that we're watching. (laughs) And the seven is like rolling on ahead. Yeah. Um, So I sat down with the one who's got more of the seven quality and said, hey, listen, your sibling has a belief that their opinion doesn't matter that much. And when you ignore them, you're only hurting them further. Mm. They already believe that and you're making it harder on them. Well, of course, they become tenderhearted. They go, they apologize. And then now it's much more, hey, what do you want to watch? And it's just like, you know, working on those ideas. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay, this question is from Coral Abood. How can we prevent childhood wounds based on our kids' Enneagram? How do we understand what they need most? Well, you're not. (laughs) Meaning, I believe that God created us in our type. And on this side of heaven with the fall, those childhood wounding messages are already there. It's not necessarily because someone did something to create it. So we talk about how um, trauma or wounds don't uh, create type, they reveal type. So the thought process is already there. So as a type nine, I already think my voice doesn't matter. I shouldn't assert myself. That's already there. But there are times in my life where that occurred that I'm like, yeah, see, see, that person did this or that person said that. Really, that's confirming the already record player that's in my mind, the type nine record player. So don't think so much like I created the wound, I did something wrong, but more, there are nine different wounds. And if you don't know your child's type yet, or maybe you shouldn't have typed them yet, what are the nine different wounds? How can you speak into that? How has Christ redeemed and saved and is restoring that for them? How can you speak into that? 
And if parents sit around thinking, I am the one doing all the wounding, it actually is only going to perpetuate that thought process and actually probably create what you're fearing. So I just like parents to just take a step back, take a deep breath, and how can they speak truth into their kids' lives with care, but also listen to them, listen to the child, recognize that thought pattern is there. So don't negate it or try to be too optimistic or push it aside. Just engage with your child, love them well, and speak truth into their life. Yeah, I read a study um, sometime last year, and it talked about that in a parent-child relationship, when there's actually no friction, and so there's no conflict, and there's been no harm done, the parent and child reported a certain amount of uh, connection and intimacy in the relationship. But when there was harm done, but then the parent pursued reconciliation, Mm -hmm. that actually the parent and child reported feeling closer to one another afterwards. Mm. I also just say that to say, like, you're not the cause of all your kids' wounds, but you are the cause of some of them. Mm -hmm. And the good news is that God's grace plays itself out in a beautiful way that allows for when you go to your kid and confess and you go to your kid and you're humble and you go to your kid and you're specific with Mm -hmm. the way you hurt them, that there's an opportunity for you to actually be closer. Your kid will trust you more Mm -hmm. at the end. So don't just sit around and just beat yourself up for it, but... God's grace is at work. I love that. I love that idea. Well, Beth, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. Thanks guys for inviting me. I can't wait to do it again. Thanks, Beth. If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Beth McCord. If you would like to learn even more about parenting and the Enneagram or for tons of other great resources, including free downloads and podcasts, check out yourenneagramcoach.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by a Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. You can serve for a summer or a year and grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was edited by Rachel Zabo, Lindsay Lewis, and myself. Rachel's also our media director and producer. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Community.